I'm wrapping up a series this morning that we have been on for the last four weeks, and the title of the series has been The War of Light and Darkness. And today the theme of this is The Weapons of Our Warfare. And as we enter into this last one, I really want to examine the way that we fight our battles as children of God. And again, the words of a song that we just sang are so appropriate here. I don't know how many of you may be movie buffs, but there was a movie that came out a number of years ago called National Treasure. And there was a character that was played by Nicolas Cage, and I think his character's name was was Ben Gates. And in this search for treasure, he finds a pair of glasses. And he didn't know at the time that looking through the different colored lenses of those glasses when he found the right map was going to begin to reveal clues to him uh, as to where he needed to go and what he needed to do. And for those of you that are regular Bible readers and you love to study the Word, perhaps you have noticed that with everything going on around us that it seems to color the lenses of the way that we look at the Word of God. And I have found most recently that as we're looking at the word, that God has a way of taking the lenses of culture and begin to reveal different truths, even from scriptures that we have read before, that just seem to come to light in a new way because of what we're going through. And he allows his Holy Spirit to lead us into the truth of that word and that we can begin to apply it to the situations of our life that bring an encouragement to our heart through it all. Several times this past week, I've had different people from our congregation just get in touch with me and respond that as they have been approaching the Word of God each day in prayer and, and reading it, they have discovered that when they needed the direction of the Word of God, that God was faithful to them. That if they needed wisdom for that particular day, that God was really faithful. And every time they needed a, a sense of encouragement, that there was something in the Word of God through the lenses of their life that he would begin to highlight in the Word that would lead them and touch them exactly where they were. And I'm so grateful that the Word of God does that for us. We know that the power of the Word of God as it relates to our life lies in the prayer and obedient application of the reader or of the listener. If you were to look at the Bible, you would discover that it's still words and it is sentences and it is language until it is quickened and made alive in us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We will read the passage, but unless the Holy Spirit gives it life, makes it live and quickens it, Unless he incarnates the word in our heart and in our souls and in our minds, it's just a printed word. So today I ask that you would take your Bibles and as you do, would you join me in praying that God would make his word come alive off the page and be something that we can apply through the lenses of our life and culture today. Won't you join me in prayer? Father, as we approach your word today, we recognize that it is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that the truth is revealed to us. Lord, I get to be a mouthpiece of your word, and I pray that you would use me somehow today to be used of the Holy Spirit, that something I may say under the anointing will reach the hearts of those today that desperately need encouragement, desperately need direction, and desperately need to hear from you. You are a faithful God, and we thank you for all that you do for us, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that have been joining us every week, you have noticed that we have been blessed by the ministry of interpreters. And I, I apologized ahead of time to our interpreter today because there's some very difficult names to pronounce within the passage of Scripture that we're going to be studying. 
And they do such a great job of this every week, and I'm so grateful for them. But today, if you have your Bibles, I would like you to take them and turn, if you would, to 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I would like you to keep your hands there because we're going to be going through this chapter in some different stages because it will direct us as to how we approach the weapons of our warfare in this war of light and darkness. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 9 and then jumping to verse 14 and 15. And then verses 22 and 23, and then wrapping it up with verse 30. The scripture declares this. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Eden, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, alarmed Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a full fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Now they have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and we will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. Verse 14. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant from Asaph. As he stood in the assembly, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 22. As they begin to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. And then in verse 30, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. Have you ever faced a crisis in your life that was so difficult or so daunting that you simply did not know what to do? Where from the perspective that you were looking at, you had no hope of being victorious. What do we do when we face those moments in life? When we just don't know what we are supposed to do. I believe that the story of Jehoshaphat gives us a picture of what we can do when we simply don't know what to do. And we learn from this story just what our spiritual weapons are. The first is this. Our first weapon is prayer to God. In verses 3 through 12 of that chapter, we discover that King Jehoshaphat is facing a serious crisis. Three nations had gathered together 
And in the joining of their forces were a huge army and they were coming to attack Judah and Jerusalem. The odds of success in this battle were about the same as it would have been versus David and Goliath, looking at it from a physical standpoint. And like us, Jehoshaphat's initial physical human reaction was that of panic and fear. And it says he feared, but it was what he did when he feared and what he did when panic came upon him that set him apart from what happens when those that don't know God fear and panic. It said he set the stage for God to do something powerful because he sought himself and his land to proclaim a fast before God. Not only did he pray and not only did he fast, but he called all his people to prayer. There is power when the people of God unite in prayer for one purpose. Have you noticed that panic and fear tend to unify the church, tend to unify people of faith that come together, and there is an intensity in prayer when the pressures from the outside begin to cause us to seek Him with a heart that has one purpose. And when we pray in situations like that, the peace of God begins to settle within our hearts. And we note that in his prayer, Jehoshaphat came to the Lord and he begins to remind God of all of the things that he's done in the past to deliver them. In verses 6 and 7, he says to him, you are God. It's like, let me just remind you who you are. You are almighty God. We know that. You know that. And so we could use your help. He says, you rule over every kingdom. He said, all your power is in your hand. No one can withstand you. You gave us this land by driving out its inhabitants. As I think about that, I thought, you know, he didn't say that because God had forgotten who he was or what he had done. But Jehoshaphat needed to say that to God to be reminded and built up in his own faith. That in the middle of this difficult time, I am serving a God that's been faithful in the past. And I know that he will do it again. He talks in verses 8 and 9 that should calamity come upon us in the form of either judgment, which we can also look at as a word discipline, or plague or sickness, which is talking about illness and things that are outside their control, or environmental disasters, as it was talked about in a famine there. He said, in the middle of all of these things, we know that you will hear us and that you will save us. And in verse 10 and 11, he finally presents his problem to the Lord after all of this. And he says, here's the issue. God, when you gave us this land, when we came out of Egypt, you told us to leave these three countries alone. You had us drive out everybody but them. And now out of the graciousness that we have extended to them, they have joined together to come against us, to drive us out of the land of our inheritance. And in verse 12, he rests his case and he says, oh, God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And then there's these great words. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. When you and I face those crisis moments, when we don't know what to do, prayer ought to be our first resource and not our last resort. Prayer ought to be our go-to mode, understanding that there is a, a weapon, a spiritual weapon that is unleashed in the prayers of God people individually and corporately. And so our first weapon in this warfare of light and darkness is there's a powerful weapon in prayer when God's people pray individually or corporately. 
God is at work on their behalf. The second thing that we learn out of this is the weapon of proclaiming the word of God. In verses 13 through 17 of this chapter, we recognize that one of the greatest resources of hope, one of the most powerful weapons that we have is to actively engage spiritual warfare with the word of God. We must let God speak through his word. We must let it indwell us and, and work into us. And as we seek him in prayer and as we look to his word for guidance, God will give us an answer. We look back in the New Testament at Matthew chapter 4 and the interaction between Jesus and Satan when Satan was tempting Jesus after he had not eaten for 40 days and Satan tempts a very hungry Jesus to turn the stones into bread. Jesus responded with the word, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus said, the power that feeds us and nourishes us is the word of God. Wanting to test his divinity, Jesus says, why don't you throw yourself off this high point in the temple and prove that your angels will minister to you? And Jesus responded, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Tempting his glory by saying, I'll give you all that you see in the world. If you will just worship me, Jesus responded, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus answered every one of Satan's attacks with the word of God, even though Satan's scripture twisted each of those attacks, using a piece of the word to come against him. Oh, church, we need to know the word and we need to be able to rightly divine it as we use it. There are moments in our life where the very words of God will be our weapon against a relentless enemy. The Bible tells us that all the men of Judah with their wives and their children and their little ones stood there before the Lord. There's this beautiful image in this verse of entire families coming together, men with their wives and their children and their babies, and they're standing there together recognizing we are dedicating our family to this purpose, a prayer in unity as we come before God. And following his prayer, God sent a word of hope, a prophetic word through the prophet Jehaziel, and he says to them, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Jehaziel encouraged the people to trust in God. And then he told them, exactly where the enemy would be as they were climbing up a certain pass at the end of a certain gorge in a certain area of the desert. And he said, you will not need to fight this battle, but take your positions, stand still and see. In other words, get where you're supposed to be and then watch the deliverance of the Lord that he's about to give you. And the Lord will be with you. I love the fact that we who are followers of Jesus Christ have an unfair advantage in this spiritual warfare. Number one, we already know the enemy has been defeated. And so we are fighting a war that is in its last vestiges. We are on the winning side. The other aspect of warfare that I love that's demonstrated in the scripture is the fact there's nothing Satan can do or anybody that he motivates to do that our God doesn't already know their plans. 
He so very clearly in this scripture leads the people of God to the direct place where the enemy was going to come and attack them. And then he says, take your positions and stand there and watch what I do. And they were to watch as God did a mighty victory on their behalf. So as we look at the weapons of our warfare that are given to us to activate, we recognize that the word of God activated in our life becomes a supernatural power that we have as we battle the things taking place in the heavenlies. The third weapon that is mentioned within this chapter is praise to our God. If only we could realize how awesome the power of worship is and the power of praise. It would transform the lives of individuals in our churches. Listen, over these past 12 weeks, I have been astounded at the number of songs that individuals have listened to and worship songs that they said, man, this has really just blessed me. And we begin to send them out during the social messaging to each other. And we listen to those things and we sing them and we learn the words to those things. And, and we recognize that within that, we have discovered that praise is a weapon that we use against the enemy. Something happens when we praise God. Something happens on the inside. Something happens on the outside. He is enthroned and he dwells in the praises of his people. What a weapon that we have in our warfare arsenal that the enemy can do nothing about when we praise our God. Psalm 22, 3 says this. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. God is the one whom Israel praises for his saving acts in her behalf. And Jehoshaphat believed the word of, of God's prophet that had been given, and he began to praise the Lord at the word. In fact, if you note the place of praise in God's victory, we learn that number one, we ought to praise God before the battle. It says, as soon as Jehoshaphat heard the message of God's prophet, he began to worship the Lord. It said he bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down before the Lord. And then the Levites and the children of the Kothahites and, and the Korathites stood up and they praised the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice. Can you picture that? In this praise service, people falling on their face, others standing with hands raised and a loud praise goes up. Before the battle has ever begun, they learn the weapon of praising God before the battle. And then we ought to learn to praise the Lord during the battle. It said early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever, they sang. And they begin to sing and set praise. I've pictured this so many times as I've read this passage. The army is going up. They're about to take their positions. And the people in the front, the ones who are most in danger is the choir, the worship team. Put them right out there in front. And they're singing with loud voices and praising God. Can you imagine how discouraging that must have been for an enemy to hear that the people they're about to attack are not afraid at all, but are singing songs of victory before the battle ever begins. 
As they're singing, give thanks to the Lord whose love endures forever. And then we learn in this chapter that we ought to give praise to the Lord after the victory is won. Scripture tells us that by the time they got to the place that God told them to go, all they could see was dead bodies laying on the ground. No one had escaped. I love the aspect of this, that when God brings victory to your life, it's not partial victory. It's complete victory. He doesn't do things part way. In fact, the carnage was so widespread that the scripture said it took four days for the, the people of Judah and Jerusalem to go out and just to gather all the plunder from the dead bodies that were there. And at the end of all of that, after gathering everything, four days later they get together and they have a praise service at everything that God had done. In other words, praise began before the battle. It carried them into battle and it continued after the battle was over. Remember, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 says, The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, to demolish arguments, and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Prayer, the word of God, and praise are our three greatest weapons as we engage in this spiritual warfare. So may God help us to be a people of prayer, a people of the word, and a people of praise. I love the fact that even this account of Jehoshaphat is not an isolated account because we read another example of the weapons of prayer in Exodus 17 that so many of you know as the Israelites were facing a formidable enemy, the Amalekites. And they told them, you are not going to proceed any further to claim what God has promised you. We are here to stop your progress. Doesn't that sound like what the devil says to you every day? I don't care what God has promised you. I'm going to stand in the way and you're not going to reach it. And in the middle of his threats... We have these weapons that we begin to use to our benefit. And when the devil says you can go no farther, we begin to cry out to God. And in Exodus 17, a young Joshua led an army against the Amalekites. And while he was leading the army, Moses is on the top of the mountain and begins to pray. And he lifted his hands. And we know that when he held the rod of God high, that they were winning the battle. And when he got tired and it began to drop, they began to lose. And so Aaron and Hur come alongside and lift up his hands. And the Israelite won, Israelites won the battle while he was worshiping and praying and interceding for them. And so I ask you this question. Was that battle really won in the valley? Or was it one on the mountain? Some of you are in the middle of some really difficult situations. And, and you are picturing the fact that you think you're in this battle. But I want you to know something. The battle that you are in physically that you are experiencing right now is going to be won when you enter into the mountain of prayer. As the weapons of your warfare are engaged and the power of the Holy Spirit begins to work in you and through you and brings peace. And you begin to praise. In the middle of the storm you praise because at the sound of your praise, the voice of God is heard through all of this. And there's a lesson for us. The enemy who stands in our pathway of progress, we must understand that the weapons of our prayer, the weapons of our praise, and the weapon of his word will take him down every time. So child of God, it's time. 
in this war of light and darkness for you to recognize that you have weapons at your disposal that the enemy cannot stop and for us as a church to stand up in the power of our living God and recognize greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So Father, I pray right now that every life that is being affected by this warfare of light and darkness and and there may be people today that are afraid and panicking that because they don't see a way to victory. But Lord, the scripture today told us that there are weapons available to us. And I pray that you would use those and make them effective in the lives of everybody who hears this word today. That we would come to see that the battle belongs to the Lord. And you're looking for opportunity to bring praise to you from the way that you bring victory to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would incorporate the things that we have heard over these last four weeks within this series and that we would stand on the promise of the Lord of God, understanding that there is a powerful, scheming enemy, but that you are greater than he is and you are leading us to victory. And we claim this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church together said, Amen.